0: So, I did the Wim Hof um, method workshop. It was, it was pretty good. It was very good. The instructor was um, Johannes Egberts from the Netherlands, tall, blonde, Viking-looking guy. Uh, he's been working with Wim Hof for two years And he told the story, well, actually, the first thing he did at the workshop was get us to do a round of the Wim Hof breathing and then hold our breath and do as many push-ups as we could with the held breath. That was before any intro or any talking, which was a great way to start, very energising and I think shocked a lot of people. There were a lot of people there, probably around 50 I would say, though it was like in a a yoga room and we were side by side, sardines, doing this breathing. Um, Then he told the story of how he'd had these experiences as a kid where, he didn't say who, but... The person who was disciplining him would put him on the floor in the bathroom naked with a foot behind his neck and then spray freezing cold water on his head. This is in the Netherlands where it's cold. Um, And how he grew up angry, well, first kind of submissive to this behaviour, but then turned angry and resisted and became rebellious and at 13 was in trouble with the law and ended up in some kind of home for delinquent youths and how during his troubled years he'd had an advent, he, they'd taken him out on a primitive skills 5-day survival type situation and it was during that 5 days that he changed his relationship with the cold and cold water which had previously been associated with hate because of that early experience and then he was left alone for 2 days by a river Uh, to survive with all his survival skills he'd just learned in the previous three days, which seems a bit extreme. But anyway, he made friends with the river. He made friends with the cold water. He changed his relationship with cold. And he started to understand that if he could withstand the cold water in the river through his own actions and his own mindset, then he could control his own life through his own mindset and actions rather than what he was doing previously, which was blaming everyone and hating everyone and thinking that whatever was shit in his life was caused by some other oppressive person, which was a major turning point. And then later on, he met Wim Hof and they yeah, they started working together. He became an instructor in the method. Um, so I just wanted to highlight that that was something that I've talked about that I think is really important is this idea that if we um, can learn to look at our lives in a certain way to change our mindset the way we approach all our challenges and difficulties and to consider them something for us to take action on rather than be passive and blame whoever it is that's the cause or that we think is the cause of our challenges then that gives us an enormous amount of strength and power and agency is what I'm trying to cultivate Um, and I'm on my way ish. So next he worked with Wim Hof. Wim Hof, um, I mean this is a very brief history but he just discovered on his own all these methods he talks about for enduring cold essentially. Enduring cold and heat and thirst and just um, through breathing techniques and through mindfulness and mindset or attitude or doing something within himself that he himself can't describe and doesn't exactly know what he's doing. He's essentially learned how to control his own autonomic system. So the 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 state he's in, the fight flight, or freeze or social engagement, He has a certain degree of voluntary control over that. But it's not exactly conscious because he doesn't know how to explain what he's doing. He kind of does now because after he was discovered um, and people asked him what he was doing and then he started teaching it to others, he's become a bit more explicit and started to understand how to teach it. But until then, it was just something he did And it was almost like he was treated as this kind of freakish superman with superpowers. And that's kind of how it was presented in the talk that he was this very unusual man. And I couldn't help thinking that he probably isn't unusual at all in terms of if we think ancestrally and evolutionarily. And I would be prepared to bet that... In many traditional cultures, hunter-gatherer cultures, this form of voluntary control over the state, over the autonomic state, is perfectly commonplace and everyone can do it. And modern culture has eroded that ability and so it's only infrequently seen nowadays. But it's probably not that rare. There are probably people that just aren't famous or haven't thought about it or don't realise that they have the ability to do it that are just like Wim Hof. And he just happens to have become famous for it, which is great um, because now he's teaching other people. So after he did all these feats of um, enduring colds and, and heats and marathons without water in the desert and climbing mountains in a pair of shorts um, through the ice and snow he um everyone decided that oh he was just freakish so in order to prove that he wasn't he decided to teach others and he did and he's taken groups up mount kilimanjaro from between ages of 7 to 70 um, and they've taken five days to climb the mountain and people with arthritis and all sorts of um, problems who should have had um, altitude sickness but somehow didn't and should have had physical problems but somehow didn't. So he, through his teaching of his techniques, got them up those mountains. So it's pretty remarkable what he's done and I don't know exactly how, what he did. But we just learned. this was very, very introductory. So all we did was five cycles of the breathing um, and that involved – lying on our backs, taking a full 100% inhalation. So normally we inhale to about 60% of our full capacity. And the idea was to take a full 100% inhalation through the nose, ideally, and then to just let the breath out through the mouth or the nose. Um, And the breath out is just a free, don't worry about thinking about the breath out. And then you do 30 of those. And where I was, I've been taught it before, and I was always taught it that you had to do it as quickly as possible. You had to take that breath in as quickly as possible. And that was always difficult and stressful because I found that when you inhale through your nose, the airflow feels slightly restricted presumably because I've got slightly congested nose but I don't think I'm that unusual in that Um, and to take something to take a breath in really fast through your nose and to get to 100% takes a lot of creates a lot of tension in the breathing in the torso so I always found it pretty horrible but he said this guy said to just do it at your own pace and then it meant it was actually perfectly easy well it was kind of weird I wouldn't say easy it was one of those it's a bit like when I'm doing a DNS holding a position in DNS um, or doing a movement where it's actually quite hard and you feel like oh I don't know if I can do this oh I can't hang on much longer oh I don't know if I'm gonna get through it Um, But you, at the same time as that slight aversion to doing it, there's this slight attraction to doing it because it feels right. It feels like something good is happening inside. That's how I felt with the breathing, this mixture of I don't want to do it, I can't handle it, it's too difficult versus no, I want to do it, this is good, this is building me. And we did 30 of those breaths challenging then at the last breath you breathe out and then you stop breathing and you just stay like that for as long as you are comfortable doing that then you take a breath in and hold that for 10 seconds And then you take a breath out and you pause and then you go again. You do the whole thing again. So 30 breaths. We did five cycles of this. He warned us that we might get what's called tetany, which means when your blood becomes too alkaline because you've got rid of too much or a a lot of carbon dioxide, you get these symptoms like your hands can spasm and form like claw hands and you get tingling around the lips and your body feels tingly and you can have hallucinations and you can feel quite weird. It's not in any way dangerous, but it can be scary if it happens. I didn't really get that. I did get um, nothing outlandish. I felt more and more grounded more and more peaceful mentally which was kind of contradictory because doing the thing itself was a stressor and was stressful and I kept the I guess the part of me that just wants to be left alone and uh, not made to do anything difficult kept thinking oh when is this going to end I don't want to do it anymore I don't like it but even though that was in the background that was like a slightly disgruntled young child whinging about something. At the same time, I really wanted it. I really wanted to keep doing it. And at the same time, I was very aware that I felt calm, peaceful, and strong. I just felt like a, I felt normal. I felt like a normal, calm, peaceful, strong person. And Johannes's voice in the background was very um, reassuring. And comforting, and encouraging. He was just saying things like, um, you know, there's nothing, nothing to do. Keep going, or you can let go now, or I don't know, just those types of things. And it it was just his voice was was good. It was a calming, strong voice. I felt safe. I felt safe. That was it. so and then that was the end and we did a sharing a few people volunteered what they'd felt quite a few people felt you know one guy said he was um started to cry which apparently is quite common another guy said he couldn't feel the ground under him he literally was not aware of whether he was touching the ground or not some people had a lot of visual things um various experiences. Some people did get that full tetany experience and some were quite freaked out by it. And I did get uh, some visuals. I had that feeling like when you're falling asleep and you start to get dreamscapes forming visually. Um, Yeah, so that was that. Then there was a whole bunch more talking about the polyvagal theory, which you know all about now, um, which was kind of presented in a way that seemed a little odd to me it's cultural, we often do this, Um, emotions of fight, flight, and freeze are seen as bad, and the state of social engagement is seen as good, and so we should constantly avoid any kind of stress, fight, or flight, or freeze, and only live in the social engagement system was the implication, which I totally disagree with. Um, If we didn't have fight, flight, or freeze, we would never have survived as a race, and there are times where it is entirely desirable and appropriate to go into those states that's what they're there for to keep us alive and we need them so if we start thinking of those things as bad and anger is bad and fear is bad and and being immobilized is bad no they're not they're physiological states that have a purpose and we need them but what is unhelpful is to be stuck in one or the other or several and not be able to transition freely and easily between them when required and not be able to override them at all, even though we might want to. But anyway, um, just a slight quibble. Um, It was quite a bit of talking and then we went straight to the ice baths. Uh, And I was, I had decided I was going to do it before the event And when he spent all that time talking after the breathing, I was, oh, there's too much talking. I don't know about this ice bath. And then I went out and saw that they were just these plastic buckets, really, big human-sized buckets with bags of ice from the servo. And it all seemed a bit, uh, I don't know, fake and peculiar and a bit contrived. But um, I got myself into my swimmers anyway. And when I went outside and the sun was shining, it all just looked inviting. So I immediately felt like I did wanna do it. And I was glad he didn't give us too much of a preamble so people could start um, chickening out and being frightened and and deciding not to do it. He just went, right, in you go. And so I'm, did I go in the first time? Yeah, I think I, no, I didn't go in the first one. Uh, I missed out because there was only about 10 or 12 of them so we had to take it in turns I went in the second one and it was um so you get in and you get in straight away Uh, I accidentally left my forearms out because they were resting on my knees and so from kind of lower shoulders upwards and forearms I wasn't immersed and immediately uh, my breath was caught, like I gasped several times and, and wasn't really controlling my breathing at all. He just told us to breathe slowly. So after about the third gasp, I managed to get control of my out-breath. He didn't tell us this, but I knew that the out-breath was more important to control. So I just um, made my out-breath long and slow as much as I could. And that made a huge difference. Then I stopped gasping and stopped panicking. And then all I had to do, (laughs) all I had to do was um, but endure this sensation of ice on my skin, and the uh, the attempt to relax my muscles because that was important too was to not tense and hold your muscles but to let them relax, which is kind of impossible but kind of possible at the same time. So I managed to do that. Um, I was really waiting for the end. It was only two minutes. And then at the end, I felt like I could barely get out. I couldn't mobilize my muscles to actually climb out of the thing. I did, but that was weird. I was very happy it was over and I had no intention of going back in. But as soon as I was out, I felt absolutely energized, elated, and I couldn't stop myself from jumping up and down on the spot. I wanted to jump up and down on the spot. I really wanted to run around, but I contented myself with jumping up and down on the spot. My skin was really in a strange state. It was neither hot nor cold. It was both at the same time, burning hot and freezing cold and tingly and a completely different skin. Like I didn't know my skin. It had a completely different sensation. Everyone's skin was bright red with a line across the shoulders where the water level had been. And strangely, I desired with all my heart to go back and do it a second time. So I waited for the next round and I went back and did it a second time. And that was um, less panic inducing because I sort of knew what to expect. In some ways easier, but in some ways more difficult. I found it harder to control my breath and harder to relax my muscles, strangely. I did manage to smile for the camera during that second one um that second one was probably my favorite I got out jumped up and down had the same thing with the skin and elated and energized and then I decided to go a third time um and then that third time during the immersion, I started to shiver, and I started to not be able to control my muscle tension as as much. Um, and it was the last round, so the water le- they'd let out the plug from the buckets, and the water level was going down as I was still in there, which was kind of annoying because that was an extra stress to deal with. And for some reason, as the water went down, instead of providing relief, it was worse. It felt like. It was colder in, on the bits that were now exposed to the air than on the bits that were still in the ice, um, and yep. Yeah, and then I came out and jumped up and down, and the whole thing was great. And then what we should have done, I think, is gone for a jog, or danced, or jumped around, or physically done a lot of stuff, but. What did happen was we put our clothes back on and went into the room for the hot cacao that we were all gonna get and the kind of wind down of the talk. And in that period, I became really shivery and just much colder than I had been before I'd done the ice baths, Um, which anyway, it didn't last very long, was all good. I went, uh, left, got in my car. My car was absolutely gorgeously hot because it had been sitting in the sun and it was wonderful. And that was my day with Johannes Egberts, certified Wim Hof instructor. And so I'm keen to do some more maybe, but I am gonna incorporate this breathing and the cold immersion into my life a little bit more i realized it's a really key factor this well those two ways are just two ways of learning to have some voluntary control over the autonomic nervous system other ways include rhythm dance tremor there's tremor treatments there's tapping um gargling playing a wind instrument there's quite a few different techniques for learning to have more control over the autonomic nervous system. And I don't know if one's better than the other. I think they're all good. So I'm going to incorporate these because they're easy to do. Breath and um, immersion. I live across from the sea, so I've got no excuse not to do cold immersion. And I'm going to see, because I'm starting to form the opinion that well, starting, yeah, continuing to form the opinion that whilst um, nutrition and movement are paramount, so is control regulation of the autonomic nervous system. And it's kind of like all three of those things can't fully have their best effect without the other two. They need each other there was a study where they took rats and they cut their vagus nerves and the rats got leaky gut within three hours and that was without any change in their diet now that's not to say that diet is not important because it so clearly is but one without the other Um, yeah i mean i've always scoffed at people who do all these things like take spirulina and Um, go on do lots of movement and do all these things that they that are great for them but totally disregard the diet factor well if I'm going to scoff at them I'm going to have to scoff at myself if I obsess over the diet factor and the movement and I don't pay attention to my autonomic nervous system so I am going to pay lots of attention to my autonomic nervous system all right thanks for listening